Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Timothy. Up until this point, when, uh, when Pastor Joe has given me the occasion to preach, we've been uh, going through the book of Colossians, uh, but we're going to take a little break from that this morning. Um, as it's uh, Teacher Appreciation uh, Week this week, I, I want to um, look to God's Word for an encouragement to both the teachers of our body and also uh, the learners of our body, because as Christians, uh, no matter um, who you are, you fit into both categories in, in some way or another. So we'll look into 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. And beginning in verse 14, he writes. 2 Timothy three fourteen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's go before the Lord this morning. Father, as we look into your word, we pray uh, that you would um, reveal to us um, great and mighty things. Lord, that through the preaching of your word, through the authority of your word, Lord, we would be drawn closer to you and would apply it to our lives, Father, and glorify your name. We thank you, Lord, and we ask for your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we did this morning, we recognize uh, the importance of godly teaching within our church body. We recognize the hard work that it takes to prepare the lessons, to prepare the crafts, um, to organize, um, all the stuff that goes into place. Because there's nothing more important from a certain perspective than equipping our young people with the knowledge of the Word of God. So that they might know the living God and worship Him. Many of you uh, might still be able to remember that, that Sunday school teacher that you had when you were young or that youth group leader that you had when you were young and how much of an impact that person had on your life in, in revealing the, uh, the truths of God's Word to you, um, in encouraging you and discipling you. Um, you can see the deep impact that that, that can have. And teaching others... Uh, especially teaching uh, people at church, even your family members, your kids. Uh, it can be challenging. It can be difficult. Um, and with that, I, I found a few different uh, stories this week, which maybe some of you teachers or even parents might be able to relate to. You may have heard some of these, but I, I found them uh, amusing. One of them went once, one Sunday. A Sunday school teacher was describing how Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. When little Jason interrupted, My mommy looks back once, 
while she was driving, he announced triumphantly. And she turned into a telephone pole. Nine-year-old Joey was asked by his mother what he learned in Sunday school. Well, Mom, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And when he got to the Red Sea, he and his army built a pontoon bridge and all the people walked across safely. Then he radioed headquarters for reinforcements. They sent bombers to blow up the bridge and all the Israelites were saved. Now, Joey, is that what really your teacher taught you? Asked his mom. Well, no, Mom, but if I told it the way my teacher did, you'd never believe it. (laughs) A pastor once recalled when his daughter Kelly would say her bedtime prayers. She would bless every family member, every friend, and every animal, current and past. For several weeks after they had finished the nightly prayers, though, Kelly would say, And all girls. Soon this became part of her nightly routine. So having finally given into curiosity, the man asked his daughter, Kelly, why do you always add the part about all girls at the end? Her response, well, because we always finish all our other prayers by saying, and all men. <laughs> no, Kelly, it's, it's amen. And that just goes to show the, the, the wonderful joys and the laughs, but also the challenges that teachers face. Because the truth of the matter is, and we see it today, there's a battle raging in the world today. And it's a battle over the minds of our young ones. It's a battle over your minds. The world is trying to convince you that the Bible is not true, that there's satisfaction in other things and other places. And they make a mockery of our faith. They make a mockery of your faith and of Christianity. Students are walking away from the faith at alarming rates, and it's not just them, it's adults too. In fact, some of you may have seen this study that was released this week um, from a group called the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. And they reported this week that millions of Americans are leaving organized religion. In fact, they found that over the last five years, the number of Americans who are no longer affiliated with any religion increased by 25%, just in the last five years alone. What are you doing to fight this? What are you doing to prevent this in others and also to make sure it doesn't happen to you or your family or those you teach? What is your duty as a disciple of Christ to prevent this, just not only in your lives, but in the lives of others? And that's the topic which we're going to examine this morning. The duty, your duty as a disciple of Christ. So through the passage we just read this morning, Paul gives us two commands for the follower of God so that you will grow in godliness and fulfill your calling as a disciple of Christ. Two commands for the follower of God so that you will grow in godliness and fulfill your calling as a disciple of Christ. What is your calling and how do you fulfill it? How do you fulfill it? Well, Paul gives some unique insight uh, into this this morning as he's writing to Timothy. At this point in time, um, Paul is at the very end of his life. He's in a Roman prison. He knows that there's a death sentence coming. And he knows he's going to depart soon. In fact, if you look down uh, in verse 6 of chapter, uh, of chapter 4, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And so he pens what would ultimately be his last letter of Scripture here in 2 Timothy 
to Timothy. And he's giving him some final encouragement and final instruction. He's imparting to him his, his final words on, on what he thinks he needs to know to be a disciple of Christ and a good pastor. At this point in time, Timothy, although he'd followed uh, Paul around for years, had now been established as the, the pastor at the church of Ephesus. And it was an influential church, and it became uh, one of the biggest churches in, in, in the early church. And so Paul's writing to instruct him. And he gives him a warning, and it's the same warning that is found in many of his other books. Evil people are coming, and they're going to teach false doctrine. And their teaching is going to lead many people astray. It's going to lead many people astray. And in contrast to this, he begins in chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So the first command for the follower of God to grow in godliness and to fulfill your duty is to continue in what you have learned. To continue in what you have learned. And this is, in a sense, speaking to the learner. You, the children, the people who go to adult Sunday school, the people uh, who listen to sermons, continue in what you have learned. Because teachers themselves, uh, even Joe and I and, and pastors, we are also still students of the Word. We listen to sermons, we study God's Word, and we, we will never stop being students. Christians never stop being the learner. Because God's Word is so deep and so rich that we can never come to the point where we've learned it all. And so we see that Timothy is a pastor of an influential church. He was a preacher, he knew a lot, and yet we see he needed some instruction. And Paul knew that difficult times were coming. Paul knew that hard times were coming, and so he writes some instruction. And he encourages him to press on and continue in what he had learned. And the, and the Greek word for continued here is, is meno, and it, and it means to abide or remain in. And actually, in, in modern Greek, it's used just to refer to the place you live. It's the same word that Jesus uses in, in John uh, chapter 15 when he tells his disciples to abide in me. No matter what, Timothy, in an application you, are to live, to continue to remain according to the things which you've been taught. But not just the things that you've been taught, the things that you have firmly believed. And the Greek word for this, it, it means to be convinced, to, be, to, to come to the conclusion that something is true. You see, going to Sunday school, going to Bible studies, coming to church on Sunday, that's great. And learning from God's Word is great. But in the end, it's all worthless if, if you're not convinced that what you're learning is true and then apply it to your life. Because you know what? Many people believe, uh, or I should say many people have learned the Bible. You can go to the University of Washington or, or many college campuses across the country and they teach Bible classes and professors know a, a whole lot about the Bible but they're not convinced that it's true. Paul's desire for Timothy, and indeed it's the desire for all who teach, that their students are assured of what they're teaching is true. Because if you're not convinced, it doesn't apply to you. If your faith is just really the faith of your parents, and you go to church because your parents go to, but you... You're not convinced of it. If, if, if your, your, your faith is just that of your families or even your children and you come to church just because your children 
have faith. You won't remain in it. Because it's not real. It's not real. And and, and Jesus speaks of a similar situation when He gives the parable of the sower and how the seeds land. And and sometimes people remain for a while, but when uh, the cares of the world, the love of money, um, trials or persecutions in the life come, people walk away. People walk away. Is your faith your own? Can you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, that He's the Son of God, the perfect Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. Can you say that because you believe it? Because you know that it's the truth? Learn. Study. Test everything that you learn in Sunday school and sermons. Look to Scripture to see if it's true yourself. And if it is, then apply it to your life and remain in it. Because we all understand, right? There's times of struggle. There's times of doubt, times of trial. Things are going rough, maybe within your marriage or difficult at work. And sometimes you think, Lord, is this, is this all true? I'm struggling. Well, Paul understands that. And he says, continue in what you have learned. Continue in what you know to be the truth. But it's not just a blind faith. Paul continues on and and he gives Timothy two different aids that will help him remain in the truth. Two different reminders. Because you know what? Sometimes we need reminders on to live out what we know, don't we? We know certain things, but because of our sin, because of various different things, we don't live them out. And so, Paul, understanding this, tells Timothy to continue in what he's learned and continue in what he's been firmly convinced is the truth. By what? He says this. Continue in what you've learned, verse 14, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. You see, the thing is, Timothy was a lot like many of you. He grew up with Christian family members around him. He grew up with his mom teaching him the sacred writings and teaching him the truths of God. We know this if you just turn the page to Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. Paul reveals about this. Second Timothy 1.5, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You see, from a young age, Timothy's mom had, was teaching him the scriptures. What a great example for us as parents, for you as parents to follow. Teach your children the truths of God, even from a young age, that their faith might become their own. Because these truths that they taught him shaped his faith. They shaped his worldview and everything he understood about God. And soon the faith of his grandmother and then the faith of his mom became his own. However, Timothy was also like maybe... Some other of you, in that both of his parents were not Christians. The first time we ever hear about Timothy and the occasion of him being involved in in ministry is in the book of Acts chapter 16, verse 1, and and Luke writes here that Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and by implication was not a believer. Timothy didn't have that fatherly influence at home. And so he, being a man, although I'm sure his mom did the best she could, he needed to find 
in a sense, a spiritual father. Somebody to mentor him in the truths of God. And, and this spiritual father was Paul. And so, in a sense, this letter is, is like Paul writing to his son. In fact, he, he says as much in, in, in verse 2 of chapter 1. To Timothy, my beloved child. And so Paul, like a spiritual father to him, was encouraging him. And he says, you've, you know the church, you've been convinced of it. And remember who it was that taught you that. And, and at first glance, you're like, well, that's weird. Why Are we supposed to believe something just because somebody told us that? Well, not necessarily, but what he's meaning is this. Is that Timothy was intimately acquainted with the lives of his, of his mom and grandmother, certainly. And he was acquainted with Paul. And he saw the impact that, that their faith in Christ had on their life. That it wasn't just some sort of fleeting belief or hypothetical, but it was the real deal. Time and time again, he saw Paul stoned and beaten and thrown in prison because of his faith. And yet, Paul remained a man of integrity. And he taught the Word and he lived it out. And we don't know much about his family, but we know maybe things, or we can at least assume that things didn't go very easy. First, uh, his family was Jewish and his mom married a Greek, so that typically doesn't go over very well. And on top of that, she was a Jew who became a Christian. And we know that doesn't go over very well. We don't know what kind of trials they faced, but what we do know is that Paul uses them as an example on remember who taught you and how that their faith profoundly affected that their lives, that they were convinced that they were true and had a radical impact on their life. What do we take away from that? Teachers... Be reminded that how you live is of the utmost importance. That your teaching doesn't just stop when class is over. The students see the way you live. The students see the way you you apply your faith to your life. They see the transforming power that God has had on your life through Scripture. And they'll be drawn to it all the more. You see, you don't want your students to know like you... You want your students to be like you. That's what Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean that you've got it all together. I, as a parent, certainly know I have many failings. But what it means is that you grow in your faith and you live it out in spite of your shortcomings. And you're honest about your shortcomings and you, and, and you recognize, look, I'm a sinner and I, and I need grace. Your life will either validate or completely undermine everything you teach. And Paul gives a second motivation for continuing and remaining in your faith. He says this, and this one's uh, with more importance and even authority than the first. Flipping back to 2 Timothy 3. He says... Knowing from whom you believed it, then beginning in verse 15, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. The most important thing in your life, students, children, listen to me. The most important thing in your life is to make sure that you have a right relationship with God. That you know who Jesus is and that you have faith in Him. That you've been reconciled to Him because of your faith in Him. 
There's only one possible way to be made right with God, and it's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. The world will, will tempt you. The world will try to convince you, as I mentioned early. If you even turn on the TV for half an hour, you can see that the TV shows, the commercials, all flashing, trying to get your attention about fulfillment as in notoriety or fame or money or in physical things. Or they tell you that the authorities in science or the law or what society thinks is best. But you know better. You know better. Salvation is through Christ alone. Satisfaction, understanding this whole world is through Christ and Him alone. He's the only way to be reconciled to God. And His Word is the authority. He's the creator of all things. And how do you know this is true? How do you know this is right? That salvation is through Christ and that reading the scriptures, that's the way that makes you wise to salvation? Well, because the Bible says. And you say, well, what good does that do just because the Bible says? Well, Paul follows and reminds us why we can trust scripture. He says, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are, make, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, knowing that all scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every work. And this passage in and of itself is worthy of its own sermon. But for this morning, we're just reminded that Scripture is the very Word of God. It's reliable. It stood the test under the most intense scrutiny. Time after time, it stood, stood strong. And so it can make you wise to salvation. But it doesn't just stop there. You see, God wants you to be saved. He desires that, that, that no man perish. But He also wants you to be equipped on how to live. It doesn't just make you wise for salvation. It, it equips you for everything that's necessary in life. So that you are competent and, and equipped for every good work. This is why you go to Sunday school. This is why you go to Bible study. This is why you come to church on Sunday. To learn from God's Word and to see, okay, God, what do I need to do to please you? And how can I be equipped when something happens in my family or at work or when I'm driving? God's Word equips you. I'm reminded of what Peter said when, when the people went away and, and, and after he preached a tough sermon and, and Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you going to go away too? And he said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. It's your duty as a disciple to learn and to keep learning. And no matter what challenges that life may face, no matter what trials or temptations, that you walk continually in what you've been convinced. This is the desire for all teachers. Your duty as a disciple is to remember what you've been taught and live according to it and rely on it, especially when things get tough. Paul was warning him, look, things are going to get tough. And so you're going to have to remind yourself to remember what you've been taught and lean on it and remember who it was that taught you and remember that in the end, Scripture is God's Word and it's reliable and trustworthy. You have what it says you have. The promises are true. His first command says, continue in the Word. Continue and remain in what you've been taught. And the second is this, to teach the Word to others. 
Because you have learned, because you are convinced, because it makes a person wise for salvation, because it is the very Word of God. Paul continues on and says, Because this is true, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Because all these things are true, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You see, the truth of the matter is, all Christians are also desire, are, are, are commanded to be teachers. We are all learners all the time, but all of you are commanded to be teachers in some way or another. This, this, this Greek word here for, for preach, it means it's like a, a herald. Somebody who would go and speak for the king and they would go in a public place and loudly proclaim the message from what the king had said. And that's Paul's command for Timothy and it, and it applies to us as well. All Christians are commanded to teach. Now you might say, well, but I'm not a pastor. That's alright. You might say, I'm only 12. Irrelevant. You might say, I don't have the gift of teaching. Yes, you do. The Great Commission in Matthew commands all people to make disciples of all nations. You don't have to craft sermons to be a teacher, but you have to be able to teach somebody the gospel. In Titus chapter 2, older, and, older men and women are commanded to teach younger men and women. Everybody has a duty, no matter who you are, to be able to teach and proclaim the Word of God. In some way, in some manner. It's your responsibility not just to come to Sunday school to learn, not just to come to church to learn and apply it to your life. That's all well and good. But you also have another responsibility to teach and preach the Word of God to whomever God would bring your way. Is this your attitude when you come to Sunday school? That I'm here to learn, but I'm also, I want to learn it so I can teach somebody else? Sometimes I wonder about that when I'm uh, in my Sunday school class and I say, all right, so class, what did we learn last week? And straight faces. I'm sure other, other teachers feel the same way. Students are over there like, wow, he just rebuked us. Come so that you not just learn and apply it to your life, but so that you can teach others. This word for be ready, it, it, it was a term often used for a soldier or a guard who needed to always be ready in case of a surprise attack, like they're always on duty. Right? You didn't want to be caught, caught asleep. If a guard was on duty, he needed to always be ready. And most of the time, life was fine, but it's always that time when you least expect it and you look back and think, oh, I wish I was prepared. That's Paul's command to Timothy and it applies to us as well. Indeed, he's a pastor and, and the, the responsibility to preach and, and, and to edify his church was heavier on him as it is for all pastors. But Scripture says we are all to teach in some way and to be ready in season and out of season. And that, that, that's just a, a figure of speech meaning at all times, whether you're ready for it or not. What does in season look like? Well, that's like when teachers are preparing to teach Sunday school. You know, that's in season. I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm crafting the lesson. I'm getting all the things together. Well, what does out of season look like? That means that out of season is when somebody might come up to you after church near the refreshment table or at work or your neighbor or maybe your, your child and say, you know what, I'm struggling with something. I, 
I need your help. I need some advice. Are you going to be ready to say, okay, well, let's see what God's Word says. You never know when it's going to happen. In fact, I was laughing about this yesterday because, so we're having dinner. Even yesterday, I get a phone call from somebody asking me about how I'm going to vote. And then he says, because you know, the Bible doesn't actually condemn homosexuality. It's really been mistranslated. I'm like, really? Let's go to the Greek. He's like, what? Right? You never know. That's out of season. And in fact, again, I, I took Sophia for a walk yesterday. We, you know, we like, we like to do, it's fall, I like to get out a little bit. And after we walked a little while, I, I, walk, I was walking and I see this guy looking kind of at me strange. And he went back behind, um, back into his yard and I thought, oh, well, I suppose that's not too uncommon for me. And I walked by him and he walked up to me and he says, hey, are you a pastor? And I looked down to see if I was wearing my handsome pastor t-shirt. And I said, excuse me? He said, say, are you the pastor of this church uh, right behind me? And it happened to be North Shore Baptist. And I said, uh, well, no, I'm not. I, but I am a pastor, actually. I said, oh, well, you look a lot like that gentleman. Um, listen, I have a question for you. Is it good enough for me just to believe in Jesus as like my friend and that he existed, but, but not the saving business? I don't understand how Jesus saves people. Can you explain that to me? I'm like, okay, out of season, out of season. We ended up talking for like two hours. He walked a mile and a half back to my house. He came in, he met Leanne, and we talked for a while. You never know when God is going to put things your way. And I could have been anyone. It didn't have to be a pastor to share with this, this gentleman. You never know when, when you're standing in the grocery store and, and you overhear somebody in line talking about uh, their struggle with God or how uh, they lack hope. People in your classes, people in your work, are you ready to teach them about the glories of God? Because God has commanded you to. It's important because Paul, as we close, he gives a stern warning again. He gives a stern warning again and he says, Timothy, you need to preach the gospel. Preach, rebuke, reprove, reprove. With patience, with instruction... Why? Verse 3, chapter 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into silly myths. Paul warns, he says, You know what? Pretty soon, people are going to start to seek teachers who are going to tell them the things they want to hear. And make them feel good about themselves and tell them that however you want to live is okay because God is love and He doesn't want you to be unhappy. And this happened. This happened in Ephesus. We don't know how long, we don't know when, but soon, even by the time the book of Revelation comes, John is writing to them and he's saying, the Lord speaks to them and says, I've seen the good things, but you've, you've already lost your first love, which is the love of Christ. And it continued to digress from there where now the, the church, even the city of Ephesus, does not even exist. And the same thing is happening today in our churches, isn't it? I mean, even this morning I was talking to Andrew where he was noticing churches that are, that are open and proud to you know, accept homosexuality and, 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 and promote the, you know, marriage, uh, homosexual marriage. People will accumulate teachers who will just tell them what they want to hear. And people are going to wander away from the truth. And so Paul says, Timothy, preach. Preach your heart out. 
Preach your heart out so it doesn't happen under your watch. Because the time's coming. And people need to hear the true, undiluted Word of God. And what a reminder for us this morning, for teachers and students alike. Learn and continue in what you've learned and then preach it. Preach to others. Rebuke, reprove with patience, with love, with care. And then grow in godliness. And as you do that, the Lord will work through you and be glorified. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks, Lord, for this morning. We give thanks for your word, Lord, which, which makes us competent and equipped for every good work, Lord, that we might be pleasing to your sight. Lord, your word is everything we need for a life of godliness. You have provided for us, Lord. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray for the teachers this morning that you would continue to bless them as they teach our young students. I pray for the adult Sunday school teachers as well as they teach our adults, Lord, that we as a church body would continue to learn and be built up in your word, Lord, that we might be equipped to please you. I pray you give them strength when they are weary, that you would give them insight into your word, Lord, and bless them, bless the work of their hands. And I pray for all of us as learners of your word this morning, Lord, that we would be ever more convinced that your word is true and that we would live in it and remain in it and abide in it as we abide in you, Lord that we be ready in season, out of season, to share the glories of your name and your gospel to anybody who would ask. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.